take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. I'll have you stand in a few moments. Our focus this morning will be on verses 9 through 14, but we're going to begin our reading for sake of context back in verse number 7. The book of Acts, verse number, or chapter number 1, verse number 7, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to His disciples after His resurrection. And He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in His own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 9. And when He had spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, speaking to the eleven here, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen Him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem, from the, moment, from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. And these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brethren. Our Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments, Lord, as we consider this portion of, Lord, your word, that, Lord, we would ask for insight and understanding. And, Lord, then help us to have the faith to appropriate that which we have learned today. And I'll ask for your help with this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. It has been 40 days since the Lord Jesus Christ asserted and exercised the power of His deity in resurrecting from the grave. Since that time until the events of Acts chapter 1, the Lord has presented Himself alive to more than 500 people. His presence, His body providing an infallible proof of His claims of deity. And using these intermittent moments of meeting with the disciples and, of course, others, He is rehearsing again the purpose, the meaning of His life, death, and resurrection. He is teaching them the necessity of the gospel. Again, rehearsing the importance of His life and this message of redemption and reconciliation needs to go to all mankind. He's given instructions about His followers are to become His ambassadors and the need of the world to hear this message, and they are to go fulfill the great commission of reaching all nations. The disciples were to go to the world with this message, teaching His truth and baptizing those who would believe. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 informs the disciples that this mission is to begin where they are, in Jerusalem, 
There should be an opportunity given to the Jews to be reconciled to God. They had missed this. They had missed Christ. And one more time they would be given an opportunity and grace to receive the gospel. But then they were to take this message and expand it further into Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Giving all of humanity, both Jew and Gentile, an opportunity to come be a part of the coming kingdom of God. Beginning now in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, after the conclusion of Christ's commentary in verses 7 and 8, which we have read today, and having assured himself that these men, these followers, understood their commission, that they knew what they were to do, the Bible tells us that Jesus was taken up into heaven. The text says that Jesus, at the termination of his teaching here on earth, and there's two phrases here, he was taken up and he was received out of their sight. The weight of the text carries the idea in this scene of conclusion. It's the idea of finality. The event that is now happening was singular. It was unique. Unlike the previous departures out of their sight in the 40 days that had just occurred, this ascension into heaven was both an ending and it was also a brand new beginning. The Greek words here for taken up and received imply God's implicit activity. That something supernatural and amazing is happening. This was Christ's last ascension until he would return again in like manner at the conclusion of the church age. Until the initiation of his millennial, millennial kingdom rule and then again on into eternity. This grand finale, this grand event, this conclusion was not lost on those who observed this. It was not lost on the disciples. As he ascended to his heavenly exaltation and into glory, the text emphasizes uh, not only his deity, but we see here in this cloud that is God activity and involved. I, I can't tell you this with certain, but the cloud here seems to re represent the glory and majesty of the Father. This is a, the same cloud that Jesus was taken up in or surrounded by at the, at the Mount of Transfiguration when His Shekinah glory shone through. It may have been the same cloud that Moses saw on the Mount. It may have been the same cloud that rested upon Solomon's temple when it was dedicated. The idea here is Jesus Christ is now receiving His exaltation in heaven and sitting down at the right hand of the Father. And this is not lost on the disciples. It is quite a scene. It is amazing. It was spectacular, it was overwhelming, and again this ascension was a thing of wonder and probably also of apprehension. They probably felt alone. I might say it this way, that's probably they weren't alone, of course his spirit would come, but no doubt they felt the impact of this final departure. The Bible indicates that as they were watching this, that they just kept watching this. And we would too, wouldn't we? Can you imagine such a sight? And the Bible tells us that they were transfixed. They were in a kind of paralysis. Uh, the Lord that had walked with them, the Lord that had resurrected, the Lord that had now walked with them intermittently over 40 days, they sensed this grand finale that now something new was being initiated and something else was ending, and they just stared into heaven. The cloud took him up, and maybe they expect, like in the Mount of Transfiguration, the cloud to dissipate, and the Lord to be there, but he wasn't. He was gone. 
and they're just gazing. The word gazing in the Greek means they had some spiritual perception. They were looking with understanding. They understood what was going on, and they were overwhelmed by it. But in this moment of maybe apprehension of like the Lord is gone, now it's on us. In God's great goodness and grace, two messengers were immediately sent to them. And just as Jesus' initial resurrection was accompanied by angelic messengers, so too was now this final ascension. And their intent was to spur them on from this moment, not to stand there gazing, to move on from being transfixed, to move beyond their paralysis, to move them from amazement to action. And the words begin with a twofold intent from this angelic messengers. Their first words were a mild rebuke. <laughs> Why stand ye here gazing? It's not unkind, it's not mean, um, but it, they're, they're, just, they're just like this. And the angels appear and they say, why? Why, men of Galilee, are you still just gazing? In other words, hey guys, it's time to move on. This chapter is over. You've received your marching orders, your instructions are clear. It's time to begin to carry them out. A new chapter is beginning and let's start writing it. He told you that this would happen. Yes, it may be spectacular, but it is no surprise. It is as he said. Don't be unsettled. It's a time to be excited. All of this in these words of mild rebuke. And then the second part, the communication of the promise. Just as he ascended, the angels said, he will return again one day in similar spectacular glory. As a matter of fact, it won't just be this much glory, it will be much more glory. For when he comes, he will not be alone. He will have the host of heaven behind him. That includes you and me who know the Lord. It will be the angelic army, and he will be seen from sky to sky of all humanity as lightning goes from one end to the other. That is how the Lord will appear. And he says, I want you to know that and act in accordance with that truth. He will return. The idea here in the text a little bit is to de-emphasize the timetable of eschatology that they were fixed on. Hey, stop worrying about times and seasons. Rather, just be worried about the promises of returning because you're going to be held account when he comes back one day. It's a reminder of the promise. More than any other biblical writer, Luke, of course, who's the author of Acts, in his gospel, reminded Jesus' followers that they were to act responsibly in this time between their Lord's um, resurrection, His ascension, and His return. Luke chapter 12, in a sermon of Jesus to the crowds following Him, instructed and declared, Let your loins be girded. Let them be girded about, and your lights be burning. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait. And the word wait there isn't passive. We understand it. The word means to work, to be active, to be involved. But when the Lord comes back from his tarrying, from his sitting on the right hand of the throne of God, when he comes back, make sure you're doing what he commissioned you to do. Be like those kinds of people. Be active, be burning, be moving, be presenting the gospel to the world. He says, do this when he returneth. And when he cometh, he's going to say, blessed are these servants who the Lord when he cometh shall find us watching, find us working. It's important 
It was important to Luke that these men understood this truth, that we are to work while Jesus is in heaven. Luke 19, the parable of the talents, beginning in verse number 12, it says, A certain nobleman went into a far country. This is a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ in his time in heaven. To receive unto himself a kingdom and to return. And in his absence, he delivers to his servants, that's you and me, these men, talents, that is representative responsibilities in service of the Lord. And he says, Occupy, be busy till I come. In verse 15 of that text it says, And when he returned, he commanded his servants to be called unto him whom he had given money. Okay, let's stop. To whom he had given responsibility? To whom he had given stewardship? To whom he had given voice? To whom he had given energy? To whom he had given life? To whom he had given the gospel? To whom he had given truth? To whom he had given eternal life? To whom he had given the forgiveness of sins? And then this phrase, that he might know how much every man had gained. Investment or return on investment. I gave you something. I gave you something incredible. And in my absence, what did you do with it? This is what the angels were suggesting in their commentary to these men, rightly so, gazing up into heaven. Stop gazing, and guys, let's get to work. In verse 12, that's what they did. Jesus' immediate instructions to these men preceding the section of text that we, had, that we read, but it was to go back to Jerusalem and wait on the power that was promised them of the coming Holy Spirit. And those men began to follow these instructions. And they went back to Jerusalem and they, they found an upper room. It may be in the very same upper room where they had had the Last Supper. I, I don't know. The text doesn't say. I, I, it's not relevant. It could have been the very same room where Jesus first presented himself bodily to them and say, see my hands and see my side. But they, they went back to this room where they had been waiting, and they waited there. And they began to pray. And joining them was Jesus' family, his brothers, and his mother. And of course, these ladies who had helped support the Lord in his public ministry. We, we don't know the definite number, but there was a crowd assembled there, and they were together. And we're going to talk a lot about the Kimenez. The power of being together and working together and praying together. They were aligning themselves with the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And something incredible happens when you and I begin to pray and align ourselves with the promise that Jesus already made. And when we pray for what Jesus promises, I, I, I'm going to tell you, amazing and spectacular things are going to happen. But a singular theme stands out to me for today for instruction and application. We understand that these events that we're reading about are historical. I understand that they are special and they are unique. But there are some timeless truths here as well for us today. And I just want to leave this thought with you today. I just want you to consider this this morning. That you and I here today, we have a calling. 
And our calling, in part, is to appropriate the gifts and the talents and the power that God has given us. There, there are a lot of things that Christianity is about. And, and we could talk about a great number of those in the course of the, of the span of, a, of many years. We do that. But a lot of what it means to be a Christian is to understand the gift we've been given, the stewardship that we have, the power that seals us into the day of redemption, and to do something with it, to appropriate it in our lives. The idea of appropriation is to take something we've been given and to utilize it, to take it for our own, to put it to work. In this text, the disciples and the larger group of the followers assembled there, um, they've been receivers. They have been the recipients of an incredible gift of grace. They had the privilege, the 11 men now, Judas being gone, these ladies, Mary, his brothers. I want you to think about the recipients they were. In all of mankind's history, this was a group of people, they were able to see the Lord as firsthand eyewitnesses. They watched him. They lived with him. They, they saw the majesty and the might of his ministry for three and a half years. They, they talked to him. They had been able to touch him. They knew his heart. They understood his love. They had seen his willingness to combat error and do what was right. They felt his grace. These people had been invested in. They had been mentored. They had been taught. And even beyond that, after Jesus' resurrection, for an additional 40 days... They saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. They saw him and felt him and, and, and understood his heart all over again. They had received additional instructions about their commission. They understood the necessity of the gospel. They were given something quite extraordinary. And now beyond that, they're recipients of an incredible power that the Lord Jesus Christ himself had. The text tells us in, in, in the books of Luke that he was full of the Spirit. And in this text, we see the idea of, not just of a, of a transfer of power, but the sharing of the power that Jesus Christ himself had while he walked on this earth. You talk about possessors and recipients. They had a wealth beyond anything that human history ever offered. And now it was a time to appropriate it. It was a time for them to give their lives to use the power that they had. This was the theme of much of Luke's writing. As I've already mentioned, highlighted in chapters 12 and 19, God wanted to understand that those who were recipients of his gifts and power were to be stewards, that they were to use, that we are to use the resources, the resources, the talents, the gifts, the instruction, his word, his teaching, his mission for a purpose. We are not to be glasses that are simply filled with the God's grace, but we are to be people who pour it out. 
You see, today, you and I are recipients too. Are we not? I'm going to assume the majority of us have had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That there's been a day we understood that we were sinners. That we understood by the truth of the Word of God and the conviction of our own souls that we could not find any kind of righteousness in and of ourselves. We understood that our works of righteousness would avail us nothing. They were nothing more than filthy rags. No matter whatever we could do for good, the, the, the evil would always be there. We have no ability to erase our sins, to, to remit them ourselves. And there's probably a day when most of us came to that conclusion that we needed the Lord Jesus Christ. We needed His atoning blood, that we asked for forgiveness. And then and on that day, the people here received that, received salvation, reconciliation, the forgiveness of sins, and a home in heaven. Are we recipients today, yes or no? Absolutely. We have an inheritance waiting for us. We have a home in heaven. Our Lord is gone now, and even now He is preparing a place. The word in the Greek means home for us. We have a heavenly residence. We have been forgiven so much. We are recipients. You and I have been given physical health. We have been given the Word of God. For all of its faults and failures, we are part of a great church. We are surrounded by people who love us. We have an incredible inheritance. We are receivers. I just, it would be transforming if we could quiet our hearts and stop being so selfish and just understand what we have. We've been given so much. And the singular question that obviously presents itself to me and maybe makes me think I, I may need the same rebuke that the angel gave the disciples. Having been given all of this, why am I just standing here gazing? You follow me? Get the application? Why are we just sitting in the pew? Why do we just come to church on Sundays? Why are we stingy with our money? Why do we never witness? Why do we never pass out a track? Why do we never extend ourselves and love people? Why do we never sacrifice? Why do we live such marginal Christian lives? I'm obviously increasing the implication and my rebuke may be going beyond mild, it's not intended. But are we guilty of doing more gazing than going? Sitting than more serving? Of not acting as if we were the possessors of the very Holy Spirit of God? And doing something with it? Oh, the disciples received, and so too have we. You see, it's not that gazing is wrong. It's appropriate. You know, I, 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 I kind of understand the word this way. I make it applicable today. I've come in here and I, you know, I sit right there and we all start singing, and I love it. You know, don't you love the music? And man, we're singing, and, you know, and I have this special... Uh, Privilege. I sit in the front, so I have everything that's coming from the back. 
And so I'm like the men of AI. I'm surrounded front and back. <laughs> and the choir's up here singing, and you guys are back there singing, and I'm right there. It's awesome. And then Josh gets up, and man, can that guy sing. And Josh begins to sing, and a smile comes on my face, and then you guys do all the ooh-ahs you do. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's awesome. And I, just want you, I just want you to think about this. And then you get to hear a guy trying to preach. And we come in here, in so many ways, our bucket's full. And I'm gazing, gazing at the choir. You know, I'm listening to you. I have the, 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 my bucket filled in the fellowship of the adult Bible class hour. You know, I'm meeting people here that I love and that love me. And it's just like, you know, we just come in, it's like a fountain. And it's really easy just to say thanks. And, and, and it's not wrong. But at some point, we've got to stop just gawking and gazing and get to work. Because the sum total of our Christian responsibility is not confined within the parameters of this building. We come in here to be charged to go out there and do the work. To take the tracks that someone has taken the time to develop and give and the pastels out. To invite someone to church to share our faith. To give a meal. To, 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 to be involved in acts of grace and goodness. To, to, to live such a life that men inquire. Inquire about the life that I have, what's, what's, what's informing my choices, why do I act this way, that ask me for the reason of the hope that's within me. I'm supposed to go forth and take all of this and shine before men in such a way that they ask and glorify the Father that is in heaven. I, I, I am like a, a, a flashlight with fully charged batteries, and now it's time for me to go and shine to appropriate the power that is within me. To stop my gazing, which is not wrong, which is understandable, but to move beyond it to work. Would it be fair? Could we, would we understand if an angel appeared and said, membership of Eastland Baptist Church, it is appropriate to be enthralled with the glory of God. Now move on. Go do the work. Show your gratitude. Show your appreciation with a good spirit and in kindness and in long-suffering and perseverance, forgiving one another. I mean, the application is, is just replete. But we have to get beyond just being takers and recipients to givers, to doing something. It's not that gazing is evil, but if I were to go back to look the back the book of Luke, the question that the Lord is going to ask us one day. Now listen, this moves beyond metaphor. This is a larger New Testament theological truth presented in the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians and the book of Luke. One day when the Lord comes back in the parousia, in the clouds of the air for us, there's going to be a question, I don't know how it's going to be asked, or how it's going to be presented, but it's going to go like this. Troy, what did you gain? I mean, is that not fair to assume that's going to happen? I'm not sure it's going to go just like that. But that scenario is presented over and over in all four Gospels. 
again, in the book of Corinthians and Romans and other places, I gave you a good church. I gave you friends. I gave you health. I gave you hands. I gave you strength. I gave you energy. I gave you a Bible. I gave you truth. You had a pastor. You had a Sunday school class. Okay, what did you gain? I gave you five. I gave you ten. I gave you a hundred. It's not really the point. That's between you and the Lord. But the same question is going to be asked to all those who are recipients. Did you move beyond gazing to gaining? Who knows me because of you? What family that the, that the trajectory of their life went from something poor to something richer because of what I gave you? Who was encouraged? Who was edified? Who was helped? What was gained? How was my kingdom advanced? How were the purposes of God known? Where did you take my light? Did it even shine? You were at school. Tell me what happened there. I put you in that neighborhood for 25 years. What happened? You follow? See, this isn't a hypothetical. It's not meant to be judgmental. It's not meant to discourage. It's just quite the opposite. The angel was trying to spur them on. Hey, I get the gazing. But he told you this is going to happen. It's time to get to work. It's time now to understand the potential that resides in you. That the Holy Spirit of God now strengthens and supports you. And that this, this is a supernatural thing, that when you speak my truth, they just might hear and see me. And thank you for being my spokesperson. There's a harvest to be gained. We ought to have a part in increasing and expanding the future kingdom of God one soul at a time. The question I want you to think about today, and I thought about this week, what has Christ's massive investment in you produced? What has Christ's massive, extraordinary investment in you produced? And I want us to think about this morning. Let me invite you to stand if you would.